Did you see Endgame? You did, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Just just want to make sure. So, I, I, I'm just curious how much for... will land with uh, this Corey answer, but um, I mean, I don't. Just literally, I wanted to make sure you knew there was a time heist. That's basically the only like. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen Endgame. I've yeah. seen most Marvel content. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not like You're not a uh, luddite. I'm, I'm not a luddite. <laughs> unlike people that like Marvel movies, who are luddites, <laughs> who think that they're the I'm best. Not a luddite. Who are who think they're the best entertainment ever made? No, but they're super you know, fun. It's, it's like a, it's this like elitist. I thought uh, luddite was like no technology person. Um, I. Uh, okay let's person opposed to new technology or ways of working i would say if you haven't seen marvel that's a luddite i i think maybe we're thinking more of like uh like a philistine (laughs) or or perhaps or perhaps like a troglodyte (laughs) a troglodyte it makes a lot more sense that is (laughs) troglodyte because you were like people that have seen no 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 i'm going for you want a luddite you You wanted a troglodyte yes Mm, yeah that's fair Yes, because you said people that have seen Marvel are, I mean, they're they're berserk people, they're they're cavemen like in their yeah. tastes and all that stuff, but yeah. that's still And actually a Philistine wouldn't quite be right because that is defined as hostile or indifferent to culture and the arts. <laughs> which in well, maybe that is right actually, because you know, eh, I don't know. What's John Gruden? He's oh, a, I, I just well, oh, what is John? What is he? Yeah, he's what a because like all these words have described him. He's like yeah, a right, luddite, all, philistine, all, yeah, troglodyte. All yes, all of them describe him. Yes, for sure. Mouth breather. That would be another one if you want to translate those into more modern, modern parlance. Um, yeah, he's he's something else, man. Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom, the podcast brought to you by Sports Illustrated, Arrowhead Report, si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs, on Twitter at SI Chiefs. We occasionally contribute things there. We'll, we'll get back into that when the season starts. Anyway, I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. And here with me as always, my main man, Taylor Witt. You can find him on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, what's going on? I have a minor gripe with how you introduce the podcast. What, what what's that i don't really dig it's always sunny in chief's kingdom the podcast <laughs> i, I, I <laughs> it's i'm just not into it i don't know so i say that because i i i copy a script every time that i do the intro because when i didn't have a script and i just try to do it off script every time it was very <laughs> weird and awkward and so i literally go into the google doc from the previous week i copy paste in what i said the previous week into the current and there's nothing wrong with being prepared and i'm just saying in the preparation can we can we just say welcome to it's always sunny in chief's kingdom Here's what happens. I say, welcome to what I have written down is welcome to the It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom podcast. Uh-huh. But I always say, welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, not the at the, the top. So then I have to put in <laughs> the, the podcast because I can't just say, welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course. That doesn't make any sense. That sounds like I'm, I'm Charlie Kelly <laughs> reading the intro. <laughs> money me, money now, money me, make a lot now. 
so do so that's do. what it sounds like um that's that's what's going on there we'll try and tighten that up in the future we've got a great show for you guys today as always we're going to talk about the very limited news that there is in the nfl world we thought there was none last week there actually is none this week but we're going to manufacture some we're going to talk about zach Ertz question mark julio jones question mark could they be future chiefs and aaron Rodgers still hasn't been traded it's uh it's june 3rd just checking my calendar so um Ben Albright tells us the conversation can start now. We're gonna we're gonna start that conversation now that we can officially start that conversation. We can we can start talking about it. We've got uh, we got some twenty and O talk. Patrick Mahomes making some waves with uh, Adam Teicher with uh, Dov Clayman, two of the biggest tools on the internet, uh, talking about the twenty and O. So we wanted to get into a little bit of the twenty and O talk. We wanted to make that happen for you guys. We've got a little bit of betting talk. We're gonna go through some props for the season. That'll be fun. And finally. A pair of mailbag questions from our good pal, the artist chief at Corey 04. But first, Taylor, we've got some different news about the podcast that you teased last week. You we did that up for our listeners. We do. Uh, to wrap up what I said in the recap tweet last week, um, I teased we had some exciting news about the future of the podcast, and that is that we're getting some help with some of the back end work in the podcast, some of the kind of harder things advertising contracts, getting, you know, more listeners, get increasing our reach, maybe getting some guests. So uh, it's not going to change anything about the content of the pod. We're still doing everything the exact same way. It's just, uh, we got some, some help that'll help us broaden our audience, help pay for the costs of, you know, putting the podcast up, stuff like that. So we're stoked for that. Uh, you, you will probably as the listener won't notice anything other than here in the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to have some new ad breaks to listen to, but um, it'll be a big help for us. So that's kind of, that's, that's fun stuff. And I know that you guys will definitely buy whatever products we're pitching on the show because you totally kicked ass with the manscaped products yeah. and we were sponsored by manscaped the problem is you can only buy so many ball trimmers and you guys mm. all bought them yeah and then we didn't have any more to sell so this is why we're trying to broaden our listener base so we can sell more ball trimmers or whatever products we're going to be hawking in the future and uh it'll be great so with all that said taylor i think we can get into the whoa what that that was new. That was go, that was cool. We're going a little fancy this time. I think uh, dro- we're dropping some sunny um, audio clips, and I think that'll spice up the place. Don't don't tell Rob McElhaney. I, it probably would be fine, but you know we don't want to get a cease and desist because that would be annoying. Uh, the news this week. I I teased it. There's there's no news. There's there's literally nothing has happened since we recorded the podcast last week. The Chiefs cut a linebacker that they signed for depth a couple of weeks ago. Correa, Kalili Correa, Camelai Correa, Camelai Correa. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I knew it was something with a K. So we're going to just talk about some things that could potentially happen in the future. And then we'll react to them again if they actually do happen. Uh, Of note, yesterday, Eagles beat writer uh, writing for NJ.com, which is a little bit weird. It's it's a New New Jersey website, but he... He's an Eagles beat Dude, reporter. They do a I, lot of stuff. NJ.com. I see them all over the place. They do. It's it's just it's a little strange. In any case, he wrote an article about possible suitors for Zach Ertz. We've not talked about the possibility of the Chiefs acquiring Zach Ertz on this podcast, at least not recently, because I think we've both been kind of <laughs> against it. But this is what this writer laid out. A scenario in which Zach Ertz gets cut from the Eagles. He is not reported. He has not been present at the voluntary workouts or at OTAs. He wants out. 
And this writer suggested that the Chiefs would not trade for Zach Ertz. He's got about, I think, an eight or nine million dollar cap hit. He's a declining player. But if Zach Ertz were to be cut from the Eagles, he suggested that the Chiefs would be a possible landing spot. What do you think about Zach Ertz? Oh, you know, he's um, he had a great run for a while that hasn't really shown up recently. He kind of got overshadowed by Dallas Goddard the last at least last year, probably the last two years in Philly. And but it's all kind of a a cost benefit analysis here. Like if the Chiefs are picking him up for a vet minimum contract, I basically have never been opposed to signing any player to a vet minimum. Like if yes. they if they have any gas left in the tank, you're not going to do anything with that money anyway. So go ahead, bring somebody in for eight hundred thousand dollars or a million bucks or whatever and see what they've got. That's totally fine. I don't want them trading draft capital and I don't want them signing him to anything, you know, even close to two plus million dollars. But if they can if they can get him on the cheap. Yeah, he used to catch a lot of balls. He's probably still got a little bit left. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at with it. I think that if, you know, in the scenario that that was being floated here, which is Zacherts gets cut and the Chiefs go out and pick him up, I don't really see a downside to it. I think while the Chiefs did draft Noah Gray and he's maybe going to help with the tight end room and, you know, maybe he's more of a receiver first, which Zacherts is as well. I mean, you're not bringing in a a guy that has a very diverse skill set from Travis Kelsey. He's just like way worse Travis Kelsey. Yep. He's not a better blocker. He's probably a worse blocker. He's definitely a worse receiver at this stage of his career. But, you know, the Chiefs don't really have an established number two receiver on the roster. And so, you know, if you could bring Zach Ertz in to play more in line or split, even split out wide, split Travis Kelsey out wide, put Zach Ertz in the slot, something like that. You know, he's another guy that has been a reliable pass catcher in the past. And it's almost maybe worth thinking of him, not necessarily as a tight end, but just as like a big slot or something like that, that the chiefs could slot in no pun intended mm-hmm. uh, to, to add another weapon to the offense. And I, I think for, you know, the, the price, if the price is right, the price is right. You bring him in, you see what happens. I don't really see a downside to it if they're not trading draft capital. For him. And he probably knows a little bit about the position and he probably can help some of the younger players along and, you know, just be another veteran presence. I think when you're a Super Bowl aspiring team, as the Chiefs obviously are, you know, veteran presence is not a bad thing. And he's a state steady worker. And if they pick him up, I'm sure it will not cost them. You know, the, the, like we said, the downside's just not really there. Now, please don't trade for him chiefs. Please don't, you know, spend the last year cap on him or anything like that. But just as a guy off the street, I'm all about it. So speaking of potential trade candidates, Julio Jones, talk to me, baby. He still has not been traded. He's, He's still on the Falcons. It's June 3rd that we're recording this. The post-June 1st date, which is June 2nd, we've talked about this. It's a a very strange, arbitrary cutoff. But June 2nd was the the day that it could happen, that it could officially happen, I should say, uh, where the Falcons would be able to defer the dead cap hit to next year and would be able to massage their cap this year save some room to be able to sign their rookie draft class, which they cannot currently do with Julio Jones on the roster. And it hasn't happened. He hasn't been traded. He's still a Falcon. And we don't, we haven't really even gotten any significant updates in the past two days. That's been the weirdest part to me is the lack of smoke. I mean, there's a little bit of Titans talk and there's a, there was a little bit of, I guess he talked to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks for a second. Um, some random Atlanta 
Twitter account said that he's going to an AFC team for a second, but like a second rounder that is. Um, But in general, you think with a guy of Julio's resume and, you know, a pro football hall of famer when he retires, that there would be a lot more just talk. There would be a lot more people that would have a good idea of where he was going and when, and, and it just, it hasn't happened yet, but I'll tell you as a chiefs fan, it hasn't happened yet, which means the dream's not dead. And if the dream's not dead, I'm all about it. Yeah, the dream is still alive. It is weird, though, that we're in a a very dead part of the NFL calendar, and there's just there's not any smoke about it. I, I'm a little bit baffled by that. The latest news from the Falcons was Arthur Smith, the new head coach of the Falcons, was asked about Julio, whether he would report to minicamp. And he basically was noncommittal on like whether he would report or not. Who cares? That's not even news. Like get out there and knock on doors, journalists, like do your job, you know, come on. Cause we knew he wasn't going to report. He's already gone on, you know, Skip and Shannon's show and said, I'm out of there. We like, we know he's going to get traded. He's not going to show up to minicamp. Like that's not news. He wasn't going to show up. He wasn't going to show up even if he was going to go back to the Falcons. Right. Right. Like, come on. That's yeah. yeah, That's, that's just a tease. They just said, Oh, if I put Julio Jones in a headline, someone will click on it. And they're right. Boy, speaking of teases, we had to work this into the show somehow. (laughs) For those of you that may have missed it, I've been, uh, I've been getting back to my, my roots on Twitter this week, yeah, which means um, stirring the pot and getting into it, going tit for tat. Um, I've been jabber John with some of the uh, some of the blue checks out there on Twitter, uh, including Ben Albright, who famously uh, in my circle anyway on draft night, you know, quote tweeted a a tweet, you know, piling on Mark Schler's report on one hundred four three the fan here in Colorado that a trade for Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos was as close as it could be without being a done deal. He, he quote tweeted that with a, a couple of zip lips emojis, right? Which obviously implies that he has some information he that he, he can't share. He yeah. followed that up by saying that uh, we were in for a, a wild night, meaning Denver fans were in for a wild night. I don't know, but, you know, could happen. Um, when I sort of called this behavior out, this clownish behavior uh, out, he he responded to actually someone else who just said that he was an asshat or something like that. A fucking and, idiot, I believe. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, said at remind me of this. There's a, an account that, you know, sends you a reminder tweet at a specified date. And he said, June 2nd. So June 2nd was yesterday. It came and went. And uh, I reminded him that he had, he had posted this and that, you know, Aaron Rodgers was still a Packer and was certainly not a Bronco and doesn't appear to be close to being a Bronco. Uh, his response to that was that uh, today, yesterday, June 2nd, was the first day that the conversation could start. So apparently the Packers and the Broncos could not have had any conversations about Aaron Rodgers before yesterday, um, which is obviously preposterous. Yeah. But here we are. It's June 3rd now, and the conversation can can officially start. The Broncos can trade for Aaron Rodgers, except that they're not going to, Taylor, because the Packers have said they're not trading him. And I just don't see... I just don't at this point, I just don't see it happening. I, I'm going to go on record right now. We can delete this podcast later. <laughs> we can scrub all of my tweets later. We'll eat if the contract. We have to, we'll eat the contract. Whatever we have to do to scrub this from the internet, if we're wrong, fine. I'm going on record right now. I'm saying I don't think that, that Aaron Rodgers is getting traded. And I certainly don't think he's getting traded to the Broncos. Something that I put on Twitter the other day, uh, just because I was curious, I went to Pro Football Reference, which plugged for them. They do say on their website, if you use any of their stuff to give them, they strongly encourage us to give them credit. It's a great website. I, I mean, how much of our, 
how much of our football reference is done via pro football reference? Oh, I mean, like, it's, it's great. It's yeah. um, for those of you not familiar, it is, it is sort of the ultimate source for old football stats and, and information. We, we are both paid sub- subscribers to that database to be able to plummet for information on a regular basis. A lot of the stuff that you get in this podcast comes from pro football reference. So maybe we'll get them to sponsor the podcast. We got <laughs> to look into that. Uh, in any case, I looked at all the trades involving quarterbacks in their trade finder, which goes back to 1994, because I was kind of curious to know, you know, if you're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, he's going to be 38 this year, right? Mm-hmm. You have to give up a lot of capital to get him, right? Whether it's draft picks, players, probably a combination of both young players and draft picks. Significant sure. capital because he's he's the reigning MVP. So yeah, the, he, the Packers don't want to trade him. You have right. to you have to go get him. Right. You have to go get him. They don't want to get rid of him, even though they did draft Jordan Love and pissed him off. But he they like he's a good player. He's a great player. And they don't want to get rid of great players. They're in a position to contend now. So if you want to go get Aaron Rodgers, you want to go get him as soon as possible because you want him to have as much time in the building, learning your offense, getting reps with your wide receivers, getting a feel for your offensive line, you know, learning your coaches, learning your game plans, studying for your specific schedule, game planning, the whole shebang. You want Aaron Rodgers to be, to have as much time as possible to prepare for the season, right? Yeah. And especially because he's 38 years old. Like if Mm -hmm. you roll Aaron Rodgers out and you don't give him the maximum amount of time he needs to prepare for the season and be a position to succeed, you, you could squander a year of Aaron Rodgers that you just paid significant capital to acquire. By the time he rolls in the next season, fully acquainted with your offense and your wide receivers and your offensive line and your game plans and so on and so forth, he's going to be 39. <laughs> so here's the thing, guys. If Aaron Rodgers is not traded prior to the start of training camp, he's not getting traded. And he's not getting traded prior to the start of training camp because the Packers are going to wait until training camp to see if he shows up. And if we get two or three weeks into August, there's just no way he's going to get moved. There's just, there's, there have been two trades since 1994 in which a quarterback has been moved for a, a package, including at least one first round pick. One was Sam Bradford to the Vikings in 2016. And the other was Carson Palmer to the Raiders. <laughs> and both of those trades happened. Sam Bradford happened the very first week of September, like the week before the season. But the reason that happened is because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. He had a disastrous injury in the final preseason game and he was going to be out for the year and they had no backup plan and they had a good roster. So they traded a first round pick for Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford didn't play in week one, but he was actually pretty good that year, which was Mm -hmm. weird. It was only five years ago. Sam Bradford was, had like a hundred passer rating in the NFL. Insane. Where does time go? Right. Carson Palmer threatened to retire and, told the Bengals that he was going to retire. And then the Bengals went out and drafted Andy Dalton in the second round. And then Carson Palmer was like, Ooh, why'd you draft the quarterback? I'm, I'm coming back. <laughs> and they were like, well, you said you were going to retire. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, well you drafted a quarterback. Well, now I am just going to retire. And they were like, okay, fine. <laughs> Andy Dalton starts his career six and two. The Bengals are leading the AFC North. In fact, I think they were leading the AFC and Carson Palmer's like, well, okay, can I come back? And they're like, no, we have Andy Dalton now. But then Jason Campbell, starting quarterback for the Oakland Raiders, and this was only 10 years ago. This was in 2011. Jason Campbell, starting quarterback for the Raiders. The Raiders lost Jason Campbell to a season-ending injury in October. 
and they traded a first round and a second round pick <laughs> for Carson Palmer. <laughs> These are the only two times that a quarterback has been traded for a first round pick package later than June 1st in the past 30 years. That's it. That's all it is. And it's just been because of injury, because if you're going to give up that kind of capital, you don't want to give it up five days before the season starts. It just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And it really, you know, 38, 39 year old quarterbacks, despite Aaron Rodgers' physical profile, they beat you with their head. That's how, that's how they do it. They beat yes. you with experience. They beat you with game plan. That's the only way you can survive in the NFL as a quarterback in your late thirties. And you know, if it was a young guy, if even, even let's say Deshaun, okay, let's, let's sure. say if Deshaun gets cleared of everything and it's, you know, September 1st and the Houston's already gotten a plan in place and they don't want him or he wants out or whatever, at least if you bring a young kid in, that's athletic, that's not so um, as cerebral as someone like Aaron Rodgers, they could kind of hit the ground running. Who cares what, who's going up next? I'm just going to run around and, and do my, do my stuff. But like, Aaron Rodgers needs time to prepare. He's more like a Batman, you know, like yeah. he, he really, it's just, he's not the type of player that you would bring in with no prep and expect him to kill it. It's just, it just doesn't make much sense. And the longer this goes on, I think you're exactly right that like, it's just not going to happen. And really, I don't even think it's the bold take at this point to say it's not going to happen. I think it's a bolder take to say that it will. It's just a very, um, it, and you know, maybe another team is prepping for it out there that I haven't really thought of, but it sure doesn't feel like Denver's prepping for it. I mean, they're, <laughs> they don't have the cap for it. They don't have the, they wouldn't even really have the players if they trade picks, then, as you've pointed out, the Packers wouldn't even know where those picks are going to land next year. If they just do it now, it just, none of it really yeah, makes and the picks a lot are coming of sense from the team that now is quarterback by Aaron Rodgers. So exactly. So you're, why, pro- you're probably yeah. going to be drafting in the twenties. If you've got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback with a lot of time to prepare. So why would the Packers be incentivized to take a couple or a first round pick from a team that's going to be in the twenties? It just really, they, they should have done it the couple weeks before the draft to maximize, to pick out a team that's picking in the top 10 that they knew, you know, it just doesn't, the timing is right now. It isn't right. And from the Packers perspective, I mean, all their actions point towards they're not trading them. I mean, they have done nothing to indicate that they are going to trade Aaron Rodgers. In fact, they just restructured Robert Tanyan's contract to free up a little bit of cap room to sign their rookie class, which if they were going to trade Aaron Rodgers, they, they could just trade Aaron Rodgers and free yeah. up the cap. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, they've got Jordan Love in the building. If Aaron Rodgers were to not play this year, then at least they know mm-hmm. if Jordan Love can play and they can let Rodgers sit out for a year. They can trade him before the draft, probably get a better haul because they know what the picks are going to be. Mm-hmm. And the team that's giving up the picks didn't just play a full season with Aaron Rodgers. You know, and they, they're going to get better picks and they're going to know whether they need to draft a quarterback with those picks because they have a full 17 game slate of Jordan Love to evaluate. Well, and you and I, you and I brought this up when we were talking about it on the side, I think yesterday or the day before, what are the Packers going to do when they free up $17 million under the cap when all of the free agents have already signed and all their, so they're just going to go into this year, 17 million under because they decided to flip Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's not a prudent move. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And what they're going to roll that over to next year when the cap is going to go up by $30 million anyway. Yeah. And they're going to not have Aaron Rodgers. Pfft, doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Another thing that's ridiculous, but that we have to talk about because I spent a lot of energy engaging on Twitter about it today. It's got me all fired up is Same. 
the 20 and 0 season. So I'll, I'll set the stage here. Patrick Mahomes was asked specifically a question about what individual records he would like to break while he was out in Hawaii playing in his charity golf tournament for his foundation, 15 in the Mahomes. And his answer was that he would like to go 20 and 0. He would like to. Like his goal is to go 20 and 0 to go undefeated in a season. Now, again, this was in response to a question about what individual accomplishments you would like to achieve. And being the consummate teammate and professional, he turned it into a team accomplishment, Mm -hmm. which is going undefeated. He turned it into a, you know, an aspirational goal. Like I want to do this. This is something that I would like to do. And that has never been done before because it's, it's never been possible before a 17 game regular season to go 20 and 0. Although, yeah, no, it, it wouldn't be because no, you couldn't get the wild card always, undefeated. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to be, you'd have to get the buy. So, first, Adam Teicher wrote an article about this, mm. which is that Patrick Mahomes' twenty and zero aspirations would not come easily. That was <laughs> that was the headline. Thanks, Adam. He wrote an article about how it would be hard to go twenty and zero. Okay. Uh, <sighs> independent NFL reporter Dov Kleiman, who might not be a real person, we don't know, might be Tom Brady's burner account, we don't know. He tweeted this morning that Patrick Mahomes should focus on winning the Super Bowl first. He was blasting this quote from Patrick Mahomes. He was blasting that quote from earlier in the offseason prior to the Super Bowl, I believe it was, where Tyree Kill said he wanted to win seven rings. And he said the Chiefs need to focus on winning the Super Bowl, win one Super Bowl at a time. Rah, 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 rah which is obviously preposterous because if he went 20 and 0, he would win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But I digress. I want to talk about this 20 and 0 season because it's in the news. It's an interesting topic. Let's just start with the obvious question. Can it, can it be done? Is it possible? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's possible that the chiefs never lose again under Patrick Mahomes. It's possible. It's uh, you know, it's very, very difficult. And it's something that, uh, if it happens, would be one of the more impressive team feats in sports history, but it's possible. I agree that it's possible in the sense that that anything is possible. There's only been, obviously, there have been two undefeated regular season teams in NFL history. You can't get to 20-0 without being undefeated in the regular season. The 1972 Dolphins went 14-0 in the regular season and then 3-0 in the playoffs for a 17-0 perfect season, the only perfect season in NFL history. And then the 2007 Patriots, who started 18-0, went 16-0 in the regular season, won all of their playoff games prior to getting to the Super Bowl, and then (laughs) plucky Eli Manning (laughs) and the New York Giants defeated them 17-14 to break the perfect season to win the Super Bowl, to crush Tom Brady's spirits in one of the great Super Bowls of all time. Steve Spagnuolo, defensive coordinating <laughs> that that fierce Giants front. So, I mean, as your baseline, you're talking about two teams that have gone undefeated in the regular season. And I feel like that's the hard part, right? Like, once you get to the playoffs, going 3-0 and in the playoffs is no different than it's ever been. A team does it every year. A team does it every year to win the Super Bowl. You have to go undefeated to win the Super Bowl. It's not... I mean, it just it, it's going 17 and 0 in the regular season. That is the challenge. And mm-hmm. so I guess understanding that it, it would technically be possible to do that, what would it take to, for the Chiefs to go 17 and 0 in the regular season and then 3 and 0 in the playoffs? Well, I want to address something that is brought up a lot by Chiefs fans that believe in the team and believe in their ability, but they say they'd never get the opportunity because 
if they're 16 and 0 after 16 games, then they're probably locked in for the bye week anyway. And yeah, Andy so. would rest all their players going into week 17 or week 18 at Denver and probably not going to go undefeated because of that. But I have two counter arguments to that. The first is Andy's a team or is a player's coach. And if the players like Patrick Mahomes just mentioned, it's very, very big deal to them to be the first team in NFL history to do something as let's be honest, it would be a big deal to Andy Reed to be the first coach to ever coach an undefeated team. I think if they're on the doorstep of it, I think he listens to his players and they go for it. Um, They're also riding that winning streak against Denver. And if they're undefeated going into week 18, that means you chalk one more up and it's 12 in a row or whatever against the Broncos. And, and I just don't see them laying, laying down and letting the Broncos be the team that ruins the perfect season and that gets a win against the chiefs and all that stuff. I don't, I don't really see it happening. And then, and then the second argument is that even when the chiefs rested their starters in week 17 in 2017, it's still, they still won the game. They still had Patrick Mahomes starting with a bunch of scrubs and they had, you know, uh, Richard Sh- or not Richard Sherman, geez, Anthony Sherman uh, leading the team in rushing and Albert Wilson leading the team in receiving and they still beat the Broncos starters. So look, don't tell me that Chad Henney or whoever's going to be the backup quarterback in week 18 couldn't go into mile high and win, even if the chief starters were resting. So I just don't think that that's a that's a good argument for why it wouldn't happen is the week 18 scenario yeah i i agree with that i think that if the chiefs and we'll dive into this a little bit more in a minute i think if the chiefs had the opportunity to do it i think that they would do it and i i think this is a good opportunity to point out that the patriots are very much in the same vein as people like to think Andy Reid and the chiefs are when it comes to things like getting a perfect season, right? Like huh? you, before the Patriots went 16 and 0, I, I guarantee you that people were saying about the Patriots, <laughs> Oh, they'll never go 16. They'll never yep. go. They'll never go 19 and 0 because if they've got the buy locked up in week 16, they're going to rest their starters which because you know, which they did not, and they had it perfect locked season. up and didn't they had rest it locked the up. They, exactly. And yes. they played for a perfect season. Yes. And I pointed this out to Dov Kleiman today because he's a huge Brady stand. If you don't know him, it's good luck. I mean, lucky. Yeah. yeah, lucky you. Yeah, just don't don't even engage. I wish that I could wipe the memory <laughs> of his existence from my mind, but I cannot. <laughs> I pointed this out to him today. Tom Brady went on Shannon Sharp's show earlier this offseason, and he was he he was asked, "Would you be willing to trade two Super Bowl rings to win?" the 2007 Super Bowl and go undefeated. And he said, I would. It's a good question. Yeah. He said, so the, uh, he, he tweeted or OCU Menorah Yorma tweeted that 2007 season still haunts Tom Brady. He would trade a couple of rings to have beaten the giants. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about Tom Brady. He has seven rings. So he also has a yeah. couple to trade. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're still talking about, yeah, he whatever, didn't give a shit about his seventh ring, <laughs> five or six Super Bowl rings that, that were, and really you're only losing one. You're trading two for one win. That's, that's an obvious trade. Come on, come right. on, come on, Shannon, make it a little bit harder on. Yeah. Tom. Give him, give him three. The but. point is, the point is he wanted the perfect season and so did Belichick and so did all the Patriots and they played for a perfect season. And I can't imagine the chiefs not playing for a perfect season. If the opportunity arose, I think they would do it. So the question is, what would it take for them to go undefeated? Because you obviously you would have to get some breaks. Yeah, you have to have health breaks. Um, You know, the Chiefs can't afford to lose any of the big 
probably six top contributors on the team for an extended period of time and still go undefeated. That's obviously a, a tall task, even with a fully healthy squad. But you've got to have some some fortune bounce your way in some of these close games, a kick that's missed that could have beat you or something like that. I mean, that's always, whenever you look back at long winning streaks, they don't get there by beating every team by three touchdowns. That's just not how football works. And so you have to combine fortune on the field with fortune in the, you know, the health department and you can't screw up any big decisions. You can't kick a field goal instead of going for it or or whatever and have that come back to bite you. So you've just got to play, you know, the, the thing about the Chiefs is that they're capable of this because or the reason we're talking about this is because they're capable of it. So, like, when when you say what would it take for the Chiefs, that's a real conversation. When you say what would it take for, you know, the Broncos to go undefeated, that's that's a pipe dream. That would never, ever, ever happen. So um, the Chiefs. Yeah, the answer to- for that is that, you know, every other team dies in the plane crash <laughs> or whatever. And they're, yeah. you know, they're awarded every win by forfeit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the Chiefs just need to go out there and be the Chiefs for 20 weeks. That's what they need to do. They need to go out there and they just got came off of a 25 out of 27 winning streak. That's pretty damn close to 20 and 0. There and were, one of those games they rested their starters. Exactly. So I mean, there there were just some blips and and I I do think that it I you know what it would take would be to, the Chiefs to be the Chiefs. I I think it would be I mean obviously the Chiefs could sustain their best level of play for 20 weeks in a row it's possible for them to do it no matter what other teams are doing i think for it to be realistic you'd have to get some breaks on the other side sure. you know like let's say the chargers are the chargers and justin herbert goes down with an injury sure. in week one <laughs> and the chiefs don't have to play justin herbert yeah. you know like the patriots when they went 18 and one they were playing in the afc east which was a joke always has the- been it always has been the AFC West, but for the chargers is pretty soft. I mean, mm-hmm. the Broncos have a good defense, but their quarterbacks, they have a quarterback competition between Drew, Drew Lock and Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, I can't even get it out without laughing. And the Raiders are just, they're, they're an all time joke. We're going to talk about them in the NFL props section because there's some funny Raiders props, but you know, I think you'd have to have a little bit of luck with the schedule. You know, it would be ideal for the Chiefs to hit like a soft interdivision slate uh, where they just get a nice soft strength of schedule. It feels like the Chiefs have had a pretty tough strength of schedule for as long as Patrick Mahomes has been the starter. You, you may have seen that Tampa, despite just winning the Super Bowl, has the 32nd hardest schedule in the NFL this year. Classic Tom Brady. Classic Tom Brady. You know, if the Chiefs ever got that, like if the Chiefs ever hit like just by – a magical blend of pre-schedule, predetermined scheduling and injuries and the division being soft, whatever it is. If the Chiefs ever hit a 32nd ranked strength of schedule, I, I mean, I, I would like bet a significant sum of money on them running the table. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So here's here's how I want to close this 20 and no discussion, because I think this is an interesting conversation for us to have. Tom Brady said that he would trade two Super Bowl rings for the 2007 championship so i i don't know i mean that's not very tough math for tom brady again because really he's only losing one ring he's going from seven to six plus he gets an undefeated season in there right he does go to six and four in the super bowl so you know i mean that's a little bit you know that's, that's not good that's only two games over 500 he's seven and three is a much better record uh, fuck you tom brady but what would you trade for a 20 and 0 season so so where where do you land on the math here so let's say for example I tell you, you can, the Chiefs can win six Super Bowls uh, 
or they can win four Super Bowls, but one of the four is a 20 and 0 season. Where, where's your math on that? How do you break that down? So I assume we're not counting Lenny's Super Bowl, and this is a Mahomes era count here. Six yes, Super Bowls for, for Mahomes, Mahomes yes, right. and Reed and the Chiefs. And this is just um, an example. I'm just curious yeah. what your numbers are. Yep, yep, yep. So to me, until Mahomes catches Brady and define catches however you want, but until you can have the conversation of Mahomes and Brady in the same breath, it, it's all academic. I don't really like winning is great, but I am personally, I'm chasing Brady as a Mahomes stand. So if you're talking about six Super Bowls or four, but one's 20 and 0, honestly, give me the four because Brady never went 20 and 0. Right. And so six is fine, but Brady beat Mahomes twice head to head and it's still not seven. So like, to me, I want I want a tiebreaker to go Mahomes' way, and if that includes going twenty and zero, then I think that that pushes me towards that side. And especially because if you also think about the NFL winning streak all time is twenty two games, right, by the Patriots, and if the Chiefs go twenty and zero. Oh, you're they're, they're you're the damn sure they've got the 22 wins lined up to start the next year because they're always 100%. undefeated in September anyway. So like, I think that putting 20 and 0 up there and having the chance to also have the all-time winning streak and to do something that Brady never did. Yeah. I mean, six is six is awesome. But the thing about four is that four puts Mahomes in a company that only Brady, Terry Bradshaw and Joe Montana are in anyway which is winning right. four or more. So, yep. I mean, it's not like, you know, you just scoff at four because it's not seven. Four is still more than every other quarterback, but three of them all time. So yeah, give me four with a 20 and up. That's my math there. I, I think I agree with that. And I think the logic there is sound. It really at this point is like eight or bust. Yeah. <laughs> because if you can't win one more than Brady, if he, if, if Patrick can't win seven more Super Bowls, he's never going to be the goat uphill battle. He's never going to be the goat unless we've talked about this before, you know, Mm -hmm. if he can get, if he could get to five, four is probably still too few. Yep. He can get to get to like five with a 20 and 0 season in there. And maybe he beats Tom Brady next year in the super bowl. You know, if he can get close (laughs) and make history and we're talking about, I mean, there will always be detractors, right? Like, yeah, there are people that are always going to say that Michael Jordan was better than LeBron because Michael Jordan won six championships and was six and oh in the finals, yeah. right? Like six finals there, MVPs there, there are always going to be people that make that argument. And that's a fine argument to make. I mean, there are still people that think that Joe Montana was a better quarterback than Brady. Cause he went four and of the Super Bowl, which is yep. a dumb argument because <laughs> so did Terry Bradshaw. You have to not. get, you have to get to the Super Bowl to win it. And if you lose before you get to the Super Bowl, that's, that's not better than losing in the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm right. sorry, you, you can't make that argument to me. I don't, right. I don't accept that. I agree. So let's let's alter the math here. Okay. Would you it. rather win eight Super Bowls, which would be one more than Tom Brady, mm-hmm. seven more for Mahomes? He he gets to eight. Mm-hmm. And this is this is I'm not going to assume that Tom Brady doesn't get another Super Bowl. The math, the odds are not in his favor, but they no. were not in his favor last year. No, He's spit in our face. <laughs> Fuck. Or would you like to win? six Super Bowls and one is 20 and 0. So you can either have the most Super Bowls ever mm. or you can have the second most Super Bowls ever and one of them is a 20 and 0 undefeated perfect season that has never been done before and will likely never be done again. So now I'm alternating and now I'm going to go with 8. 
And the reason okay. that I'm going to go with eight is because when you line up Mahomes and Brady, if Mahomes has eight rings and Brady has seven, game over to me. That's even though, even though, even if we assume that he's of them got one. 20 and up. Oh, assume that uh, he played even him twice in the playoffs that, yeah. and lost both games in the playoffs, once in the AFC Championship, once in the Super Bowl. He still got or he got eight rings. And let's say that he ends his career eight and two in the in the Super Bowl. Uh huh. And Brady was seven and three. Then he has, even though one of them was head to head, he still has a better Super Bowl record. Or let's say, hell, he's eight and one. You know, I mean, he still has a sure. a better Super Bowl record than Brady. He has one more ring than him. And here's the other thing to think about: if Mahomes is winning eight Super Bowls, think about <laughs> all the personal accolades that he will have accumulated outside of this that Brady never even got. Yeah, close way to. more than Tom Brady. Brady got three win- rings managing the game. That's what happens when you ride a defense and a coach to a Super Bowl is that even though you get the rings, you don't get much else that goes with it. And Mahomes would clearly be the absolute talk of sports for a decade if he wins eight Super Bowls. Oh, longer than that. Longer than that. And all probably all time. Yeah, exactly. And he would have all the passing records, he would have all the yards, all the touchdowns, all the wins, everything that Brady, you know, holds his hat on, he would have all of that and one more Super Bowl. So that being said, eight Super Bowls versus six and a 20 and 0. Since Brady never had an undefeated season, I'm not using that as a tiebreaker. I'm going with the eight. If Brady had finished off, if one of these seven had been a 19 and 0 season. Ugh then I, I would want to maybe lean back and go 20-0 and 0 because that's one more win than Brady had, but Brady never mm. did it. So right. that's my math there. How about you? Yeah, he couldn't beat Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. That's right. Um, nice. It's really close to me, and I think I, – I don't know. I mean, I think you can make strong arguments for both. I think like – it, and I think it kind of depends on how you want to massage the math. I, I came up with this question and now I'm, I'm, I'm like Waffling. imposing technicalities on my own question for how I'm going to answer it. I, I mean, like, let's say he went like six and one in the Super Bowl, and one of them was a 20, and zero. I think you can make a pretty compelling argument at that point that he had a better career than Tom Brady going seven and three in the Super Bowl with, with the 20 and zero season in there, but there will always be people. And this is true. No matter what Mahomes says, right. There, there yep. will still be people that will say, well, Brady have one more ring. You know, there will be some dumb gif that somebody will make, sometime in the next six months of Tom Brady wearing seven mm-hmm. Super Bowl rings mm-hmm. and fucking waving them around mm-hmm. that will be just terrible. And that will be the response to any any future or whatever medium we're engaging on, the future of Twitter, where we're beaming words <laughs> straight out of our brains. Some jackass is going to be there tweeting like a three-dimensional gif into my brain, <laughs> Tom Brady waving his seven Super Bowl rings. So the answer probably is give me eight. I, honestly, I think that, like, that has guy, to be the Would the guy be wrong? You know, that's the other thing is at the end of the day, uh, when you're comparing those guys, like I know the seven rings, you have to beat it. You have to. There's there's no other way to be better than Brady without eight rings, which is crazy because Robert Ori has more rings than Michael Jordan. He has seven and Michael Jordan has. Yeah, six, but right? like, court, starting quarterbacks, I mean, Robert Ori is not a better player than Michael no. Jordan. Right. Like, I mean, no. it, it, it's a reductivist argument, but it just it ugh, it just it's, like it's you Trump see. Card. You see that gif yeah. of Tom Brady with all his Super Bowl rings. It's like, I really don't have a response to that. Like, I, I wish I did, but I just don't. And so the response would be win eight Super Bowls. I, I mm-hmm. like that. Okay, so one final hypothetical here, and then we'll get into these, these props. Yep. Would you rather go eight Super Bowls, one more than Brady, or 
seven Super Bowls, same number. And let's say he also goes seven and three. But one of them's a 20 and 0 season. So you get you get a tie in the raw number of Super Bowls, but you get the trump card, sure, which is 20 and 0. Although sure. Brady has the trump card of beating him head to head in the Super Bowl. Right. Or would you take the eight? Yeah, I mean, I think that's as close as it gets. Um, I think I'm probably taking the eight, although a 20 and 0 would be one thing Brady never did and a good shot at another thing at beating Brady's win record. So that's kind of a two tiebreaker in there. Um, I would say if he goes seven and three, though, I don't want, I don't want him losing two more Super Bowls. I, I don't feel like I, my heart can take that. I would go, I would go eight and one with no 20 and 0 season over seven and three with a 20 and 0. That's fair. I think I would too. Let's talk about bets, betting, player props. So I dug into Bovada. We're, we're in a, we're in a lull here. Taylor. So we're, <laughs> we're looking at some, we're looking at some gambling stuff today. And I know you and I both, we both partake in the online gambling. I, I don't know what the, uh, the strength of your Bovada profile is right now. Mine is uh, <laughs> mine's empty. I'm going to have to put some more money back in there to feed the beast. I've got pennies in there right now, but we're going to go through some of these prop bets and just kind of talk through some of these, uh, see what we, what we like, what we don't, um, with an emphasis on the chiefs, but there's some other stuff in here that we're going to talk about, you know, some of the other teams that are pathetic and stupid. Let's talk with, about the MVP first. And this one is hilarious. You guys may have seen this one percolating around here. This one kind of made some minor news a week or two ago. Patrick Mahomes is the favorite to win the NFL MVP award at plus plus three fifty. The next closest person. So second place for the MVP is Josh Allen. Who's plus 900. Okay. <laughs> Josh Allen plus 900 Patrick Mahomes plus 350. He is, he's so far out ahead of the entire field when it comes to the MVP odds that it's, it's preposterous. Like, I don't think I've ever seen MVP odds like this for any sport. Certainly not preseason. I mean, you know, once the, once the season gets along and you can kind of see a clear cut guy, that's one thing, but to go in with no knowledge of how the season's going to play out and say this guy is three times more likely to win the MVP than the next most likely guy. It's just, yeah, it shows that Vegas understands exactly what the chiefs have, exactly what Patrick Mahomes has, exactly what the NFL, what problem they have facing the chiefs coming up. I mean, it's just, it's so overwhelming that the numbers and the wins and the, the MVP accolades are just going to keep pouring in for Patrick Mahomes for a long time. And I bet we're going to see odds like this for a long time to come. I agree. Just to go through some of the other names on this list, just to give you a sense of, of how ridiculous plus 350 is relative to some of the other guys on the list. Derek Carr is plus 8,000, which, by the way, is the same number as Sam Darnold, yeah. who was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year and got traded to the Panthers. So he, Sam Darnold, Derek Carr, Vegas thinks that they have the same odds to win the MVP this year, which is to say none. Drew Locke, on the other hand, has much worse odds than Sam Darnold to win the MVP, plus 15,000. Can't believe he's listed, same- honestly. I, it's the same as Jordan Love, who may not even start, and Mac Jones, who also may not even start. Right, and is uh, a rookie. Exactly. Justin Neither of them Herbert. have any starts in their NFL career, Jordan Love and Mac Jones. Or, and, and Drew Luck is the same. He's so terrible. Yeah, he's he's the same odds as two guys that have never taken an NFL snap. So 
Uh, Justin Herbert, our new rival, I guess, in the sure. NFC West, plus 1,600. Yeah. So he actually is uh, – he's just behind Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. He's tied with Matt Stafford, which is kind of an interesting name. Matt Stafford is at plus 1,600 above Kyler Murray, above Russell Wilson, above Lamar Jackson. Kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Tim Tebow, plus 25,000. So if you want to drop some uh, some long odds – you can get some long odds for Tim Tebow for MVP. And for any betting novices out there, that means this is what a $100 bet would turn into. You would gain $25,000 on a $100 bet for Tim Tebow. You would only gain $350 on a $100 bet for Patrick Mahomes. So like... To win the MVP. It's to win the MVP. The, and the field. If you call that in June 3rd and you're only tripling your money, like that's that just shows that they it's just a lock. It's an overwhelming favorite. In Defensive Player of the Year, there is one chief on the list. It's Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. He's middle of the pack, plus 5,000 to win. Same as Jadavion Clowney is also plus 5,000. This is an interesting award because we've, we haven't seen – I mean, typically you're going to have guys that are, are making splash plays, whether they're linebackers – edge rushers that are piling up a lot of sacks mm-hmm. your cornerbacks that are you know that are picking off a lot of passes i feel like only in recent years have we kind of moved towards maybe a more analytical approach to awards and we still are not there with everybody we've got a lot of olds out there that are that are voting so this award goes back to 1971 the last safety to win defensive player of the year was troy palomalu in 2010 for the steelers before that bob sanders in 2007 ed reed one of the all-time great safeties in 2004 and the only other two safeties to win defensive player of the year since 1971. So we're going back 50 years, Kenny Easley for the 1984 Seahawks and Dick Anderson in 1973 for the aforementioned Miami dolphins. This was coming off of their undefeated year. Uh, Those are the five safeties to win it. So plus 5,000, for Tyron Matthew, uh, the favorite, obviously, Aaron Donald at plus 400, Miles Garrett at plus 450. So you got some pretty long odds on the Honey Badger. And I don't know. This one's tough because I feel like he probably should have gotten some buzz each of the last two years. I mean, he's been playing at a super high level, especially in 2019, really transformed the defense. Um, and, you know, Stephon Gilmore ended up winning it for the Patriots. So a defensive back did win it that year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's obviously getting plus 5,000 making five grand off a hundred dollar bet. Good odds, but I just, I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, I don't see Ty winning it. I think he probably has a shot at getting on the ballot. You know, if he has an all pro year, like he did last year, um, it's just, it's hard. It's very hard for a safety. That's not picking off 15 balls a year or whatever to go out there and actually get it. But um you do have to kind of have a high profile to be in this conversation. And he absolutely has that. He's at, you know, when people think of NFL safeties, he's one of the first guys you think of. And that's definitely, that would play in his favor for something like an MVP candidate. But uh, yeah, I mean, Aaron Donald, I think until further notice, I'm just penciling him in as my DPOI. He is uh, he's a monster. You know, what's crazy about that is that Aaron Donald, who has won defensive player of the year several times and is the consensus best defensive player in the NFL and has been for years and is the consensus, one of the best defensive players of all time. He has worse odds to win defensive player of the year. And <laughs> right. Patrick Mahomes has to, to win the MVP. Well, so. and, and part of that too, is because miles Garrett's so damn good. Miles Garrett's only plus four fifty, And so those guys are kind of neck and neck at the top and Patrick Mahomes has no peer. 
He has no one that's plus 400 or something that's kind of right along there with him. I mean, it's just Mahomes is so much head and shoulders better than the quarterback field that I think his MVP odds, you know, they, they boost there. I do think that that going back to Tyron Matthew, I do think that that kind of almost hurts his teammates chances to win awards. You know, you've got Mahomes on the team. Like what would it take for a defensive player on the chiefs to win defensive player of the year when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback? Like do people even, do people even watch the chiefs defense aside from chiefs fans and and some chiefs fans, even, (laughs) you know, especially last year, I, there was that stretch last year where I, I just kind of, you know, Oh, the, uh, the other team's offense has the ball. Ah, eh, I'm going to go make some popcorn, chug a beer, whatever. Right. Uh, defensive, or excuse me, a comeback player of the year. So this one is fun. Three, three Chiefs, two Chiefs, one Chief in spirit. Uh, Laurent Dunardave-Tardif, LDT, plus 1,600, coming back from opting out to fight COVID. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Damian Williams, a Chief in spirit, plus 10,000 to win the award. He also opted out. He wasn't injured, just a COVID opt-out. And then Kyle Long, plus 15,000 to win comeback player of the year. He's been retired and it's been a while since he's been healthy and productive. The heavy favorite here is Dak Prescott at plus mm-hmm. 160 for good reason. I mean, he's a quarterback. He's going to come back. He's going to put up huge numbers. He suffered a rather gruesome injury and was out for almost the entire season last year. But I feel like LDT for plus 1600. I mean, this is such a nebulous narrative driven award. There like are no qualifications. There are no rules about right who wins, what it is, why they win. Yeah. Why they win. I feel like this one could get some hype now going against LDT and Kyle Long is that they're offensive linemen. And I feel like it's almost impossible for an offensive lineman to win any kind of award. Agreed. Uh, Yeah. LDT is kind of a spicy bet there. He is. And you know, he's got the COVID story that even other guys that opted out don't have, which is that he literally fought COVID. So like, right. I do think that of all the off-field narratives that, you know, can be spun on a comeback player of the year, man, stepping away from football for a year to go in the ICU and fight the deadliest pandemic that we've all ever known is uh, it's pretty, it sells, it sells for sure. Now, you know, guys like Joe Burrow and Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, some of those guys that suffered injuries, but are at the top of their game you know, that are very, very, very good football players. I think they've got a much better shot than LDT does just because it's very easy to say, oh, Saquon Barkley ran for 1,400 yards this year after, you know, leaving in week two last year. Give it to him. Or Joe Burrow, the the rookie sensation after six weeks, got, you know, blow, his knee blown up and he comes out and throws 35 touchdowns. Like, I something like that is a lot easier for me to see that happening. I agree. Uh, we've got defensive rookie of the year, Nick Bolton the only chief on the list plus 2,800, which is middle of the pack for defensive rookie of the year. This feels like a pretty decent year though, to me for a linebacker bet uh, as Nick Bolton is because this was not a, a draft with an obvious best defensive player. It's not like chase young last year, who by the way is, totally. is fourth of the fourth highest odds to win defensive player of the year this year in his second season. Uh, you know, there was no, there, he is crazy. There was no Chase Young in this draft. There was no Miles Garrett in this draft. You know, the favorite is Jameen Davis, who is also an off-ball linebacker for yep. the football team. Yep. And he's a plus 450. And Nick Bolton is plus 2,800. That just seems, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Jameen Davis. I mean, he was a first-rounder. Nick Bolton was a, a late second-round pick. But, man, I, I kind of like that bet 
for Nick Bolton. I mean, I don't know what it would take for a linebacker to come in and win it, but you know, you put together a nice highlight reel for an AFC champion team. You, you string together some nice tackle numbers. You make some splash plays. I could see that happening. So I think the thing that you were talking about, the kind of hurts Tyron, which was playing for the chiefs for a big award, like defensive player of the year. I think the opposite happens on a defensive rookie of the year I agree. where, where you get the, the pub, you get the five primetime games. Everybody had kind of, you know, no one wouldn't know who you were if you were playing well. And at the same time, it's not like if you're handing out a defensive rookie of the year, that that means that that player was, you know, absolute monster for a defensive unit or whatever. I mean, obviously they're going to be very good, but I I think that that's probably a bet, especially 2,800 plus 2,800. I would feel pretty good at laying a little bit of money on that. Yeah, I agree. I I completely agree with you. I think that no one is going to say, oh, this rookie linebacker was totally carried by Patrick Mahomes. You know, like, you know, this, this is, this guy's, I I mean, it just, it gets you the exposure that you need coach of the year. Now this one is, this one is fascinating to me. So we know that this is an award that basically just goes to most improved team with like a, a new head coach or sometimes even the same head coach. Sure. And so oftentimes it's rookie head coaches. Belichick, I believe has won it maybe once. He's <laughs> one of the greatest coaches of all time. Andy, I don't know. Has Andy ever even won it? I'm I not sure that he has. I don't remember him winning it. I will, uh, I'll check. So he's tied for the 10th best odds here, which, which checks out because we just know historically that great coaches that are great every year don't win this award because everybody expects them to be great. He's tied with Belichick and Robert Sala, which is kind of an interesting one at plus 2000 kind of strange bedfellows there. Andy Reed, Bill Belichick and Robert Sala coach of the jets at plus 2000. The favorite for this one is Brandon Staley for the chargers at plus 400, which makes sense to me because, you know, obviously he's a rookie head coach. He's taking over a moribund snake bitten franchise that has the potential to be very good. They have a lot of talent. He could turn that around quickly. Uh, good, good, um, good odds there. And I misspoke. That was actually plus 900, not plus 400. Sure. So, so good odds on him. The next two are Kevin Stefanski, who's obviously a sophomore head coach for the Browns and Kyle Shanahan, who's tied with Kevin Stefanski at plus 1300. I got to say that one was a little bit baffling to me. Agreed. I, I mean, his team had a lot of injuries last year. Okay. He, he drafted a quarterback top three and he's now favored to win coach of the year. Does nobody remember when, <laughs> when Andy Reed took over a team that was pretty good and, and brought in Patrick Mahomes as a first year starter and was projected to win eight games. The over for the chiefs that year was eight and a half wins. And with a terrible defense, won 12 games, Patrick Mahomes won the MVP and Andy Reed didn't sniff coach of the year. I, I just, right. I don't understand this. I don't really either. Um, I will say first that Andy Reed did win it in 2002 with the Eagles. He went sure. tw- 12 okay. and four that year. It was only his fourth year coaching kind of the same profile as, you know, the Eagles sucked in 2001. He comes in, he does real great. That's kind of the same profile that we were talking about. Belichick does have three, one of them was 2003 after his second Super Bowl. One of them was 2007 when he went undefeated, and mm, one of them makes was, sense. One of them was 2010. They went 14 and two, and you know one of their other awesome years. So, um, but there's really only a couple guys that have won it multiple times. Most of the time, if you've won Coach of the Year, you're just not really going to get back there. It's just very hard to 
you know, for that story to stick the last couple of years, it was Jason Garrett in 2016, Sean McVay in 2017, Matt Nagy in 2018, John Harbaugh in 2019, Kevin Stefanski in 2020. So it's always just kind of somebody that comes in that didn't really do great the year before and then wins 10, 11, 12 games. And they're like, okay, yeah, that seems like coach of the year. It's, I don't how really is like Kevin the award. Stefanski, how is Kevin Stefanski at plus 1300 and have the second best odds to win coach of the year? After just winning coach of the year, there's no way that Kevin Svansky is going to win coach of the year two years back to back. There's no way that's impossible. That's a dumb bet. This is a fun one though. At the bottom for coach of the year, the longest of long shot candidates, you've got (laughs) Dave Culley at plus 5,000. He's the new coach for those of you who don't know of the Houston Texans who have a legitimate chance, I think to go. Oh, and 17. Sure. He's also in his mid sixties. He's like the fourth oldest coach in the NFL. He's never coached <laughs> as a head coach before. Okay. He's plus 5,000. That makes sense. Old, but no experience. Yikes. Dan Campbell is plus 5,000. He's the new coach of the Detroit lions who Vegas expects to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. He famously talked in his opening presser about biting kneecaps. He's a former tight ends coach of the saints that checks out plus 5,000 for him. I feel like on the other hand, the, the bar is so low for the the Lions that if they went like eight and eight and nine or something, I feel like he would get some pretty serious consideration. But tied with these two gentlemen, Dan Campbell and Dave Coley, the longest of odds, John Gruden of the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> I think I think Vegas was listening to our pod to the roast of Gruden, and they yeah, were like, they "Oh, we, we got to tweak that that line yeah. a little bit." We had him coming in at twenty five hundred, and really, this guy's an idiot. No, uh, that's. I mean, really, if you think about it, if the Raiders are going to do anything at all, they're still not going to be better than the Chiefs. So, like, you just kind of have to immediately say, like, their ceiling is already not as high as another team in their division. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see any scenario where John Gruden even sniffs a single vote for, it, for Coach of the Year. I agree. So we've got a couple of record bets here, and then we'll get into the mailbag. Best regular season record. The Chiefs are the favorite there at plus 300. Some other notables, the Buccaneers are second, plus 450. The Bills are third at plus 900. So Chiefs in Tampa and then everybody else in Chiefs, Bucks in their own tier, and then everybody else below them. The Niners are plus 1,200, which, again, that's, that's the fourth best odds to win the Super Bowl. I, I don't understand what Vegas is doing with the Niners this year. Like, why is Kyle Shanahan a coach of the year favorite if everyone thinks his team is going to be good? Yeah. I don't I don't understand that. And furthermore, why are they Super Bowl favorites? Like, I get that they were just in the Super Bowl two years ago. I, I mean, we think that they're going to go back to the Super Bowl with a rookie quarterback. I do have some Trey Lance shares in fantasy. I think he's going to be really good. I just drafted him in our dynasty rookie draft. But I don't know. That's a weird one. Browns at plus 1,300. Ravens at plus 1,400. The Chargers are second in the AFC West. Again, Chiefs are at plus 300. The Chargers are at plus 3,300 to finish with the best regular season record. The Raiders plus 15,000. Oh, that's not good. That, that's uh... it's bad. It's bad, actually. It's, <laughs> that's it's, really bad. It's very bad. If, if you think that the uh, Raiders are going to be good this year, Raider Cody – listening you can make a lot of money at vegas this year if you were right which you won't be so you're actually just throwing the money in the toilet the only team that's not available to bet and i'm always fascinated by when vegas decides to pull teams and why they decide to do it you can bet on 31 teams that have the best regular season record the only team you cannot bet on for best regular season record is the denver broncos Hmm. and i assume that's because vegas literally cannot believe 
that the Denver Broncos might actually go into the season with a quarterback tandem of Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Like Vegas is like, well, we better pull this off the board because there's there's no way they're actually going to do that, right? Like yeah. they'll they'll go trade for a quarterback. You can't bet on them. It's it's crazy. I I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure they pulled it. You know, maybe the night of the draft when it's you know maybe Aaron Rodgers is coming, but at this point, like he's not coming. What no. what are they what are they doing there? Well, and so and another thing we've got to remember with some of these lines is Vegas sets the lines also based on where the money's coming in on, yes. so that they That's can true. make the That's most money either way. And so a team like the Niners or you know famously the Cowboys, the Cowboys always have a pro Cowboys line. In Vegas, and that's because there's a ton of people in Dallas to bet on the Cowboys erroneously, and then they Sundays all are for the boys exactly, and then they all lose their <laughs> money. And so Vegas sets that line to entice Cowboys fans, and then they trap them with their mediocrity. And that's exactly what I think. Some of these lines, you'll see a little bit of fudginess because Vegas knows what betters want to bet on, and they use that against them. I agree with that. That's that's a good astute observation, and I, I do appreciate you throwing that in there for our listeners because it's a point that I like to make, and it should not go without saying that that is in fact how they set a lot of these lines. Worst record, the Chiefs are plus thirty thousand. So if you think that the Chiefs are somehow going to have the worst record in the NFL, you can you can make a lot of quiche, <laughs> but you'd be wrong again. So you're actually just throwing that money away. The, the Texans are plus 150 to have the worst record of the NFL. Oh, that's so sad. That's such I, a – That is <laughs> – yeah, it's not – Make it's a not, $100 bet on June 3rd that the Texans will have the worst record in the NFL and you get 150 back if they do it. Uh, it's it's rough, man. It's, uh, it's a bad situation for the Houston Texans. The Lions are second at plus 300. And then third is the Jets at plus 800. So, I mean, we, we've got plus 150 is far and away yeah. the favorite. The Raiders, by the way, are uh, they're eighth or they have the seventh best odds to go to have the worst record at plus 2000. Sounds about pretty, right. Pretty funny. It sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Chiefs wins 12 and a half over under. We've got a 17 game season now. Hammer that's that a, over. That's right? a great line, though. It's free. 12 and a half is the middle is where they think half people are going to bet over and half people are going to bet. Under. I know that just it's shows crazy. that the chiefs are basically locked in for 14 wins this year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious. The chiefs to make the playoffs. Yes. Minus 1400. <laughs> that means you would have to bet 1400 to win 100. On Correct. That you have to put up $1,400 to win a hundred bucks get your money back and make a hundred dollars on that bet for the chiefs to make the playoffs. I mean, it is free money. If you've got 1400 bucks lying around, you know, you, you get yeah. your hundred dollar return on investment there. Pretty good. It is free. Uh, money. any team to go 17 and 0 plus 1700. So, you know, Ooh, we're thinking of the Patrick, 20, the 20 and 0 season chiefs to go 17 and 0 specifically is plus 2800. Well, if you're going to bet on the first one, you might as well bet on the second one. Cause you they're the only well- team that's going to do it. That's right. You might as well bet on them both. Any team to go 20 and 0 and win the Super Bowl plus 3,500. Vegas always does this. This is one of those lines that, like, every year you can bet on a team to go undefeated. And every year, like, you're getting shitty odds to bet on it. Like, yeah. the odds of it happening, even for the Chiefs, are so remote. Plus yeah. 3,500. Come on. Come on. But those are your bets. There's some in there that we like. If you guys are betting, you know, let us know what you're betting on. You know, we, we like talking sports betting. Once we get closer to the season, I'm sure, you know, traditionally, Taylor, I think the weekend before you like to, 
you like to put a paycheck into Bovada and, and I go do. nuts with it. I do. But yeah. Put some juice in it. So we're going to close this out with a mailbag from our man, Corio4 at the Artist Chief. You want to take us into it? Sure. So Corey um, is a big Lord of the Rings fan, knows we're big Lord of the Rings fans, and he asked us to rank the members of the Fellowship from best to worst. Uh, Let's just let's just each give our rankings as we go through this. Okay, sure. So I'm going to first say the nine people just so everyone knows. Yes, Uh, I guess. Well, we'll just I mean, everybody knows who they are, but that's fine. All right, we've got Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin, Aragorn, Boromir, Legolas, Gimli, and Gandalf. That's the nine. Okay, that's the nine. Just, just so we're established there. I did not. I did not do any preparation to answer this question. How, why would you need to? I why, mean, you why know, would I? That's you've true. got you've got it locked in. So okay, best to worst. Who's so your number one? My number one is Gandalf, and so is I think that's a pretty. You know, that's the Vegas favorite. I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's stock. That's stock. That's <laughs> exactly. Strong. You know, he's the nothing would be the uh, possible without Gandalf the gray and Gandalf the white. He's the best. He was a great character. Very easy to root for. Um, Ian McKellen played him amazingly in the, in the movies, even though he had no idea what was going on, would often say that he, you know, was very lost in the script, but you wouldn't tell from the shows. Uh, So then after Gandalf at one, number two, I think the easy choice is Aragorn. He is very versatile and, and was the, the return of the King was named after him. He's the, he's the King that, that, you know, is sealed or heir, And uh, he's just very, he commands every scene that he's in. He's, you know, it's just a very, uh, I think that's pretty stock for me, but I'm wondering if maybe you went another direction. I am weighing some different options here, but I think I also have to go with Aragorn. I will probably diverge from you here with this next pick. I'm thinking <laughs> I, I do love Aragorn as a character. I've said on the record on Twitter and probably on the show as well. I, the end of fellowship of the ring for me is yeah. the pinnacle Amon sure. Hen when they're fighting the Urukai and he sends Frodo away. That to me is the best scene in Lord of the Rings. Uh, the scene where Frodo is at the seeing seat and he puts on the ring and the eye speaks to him. And then Aragorn comes up to him and he thinks he's going to try and take the ring and Aragorn closes his hands around the ring. And then he draws out sting and it's blue and Aragorn walks around the corner and draws out sword and fights like a hundred urukai by himself oh i'm getting chills just thinking about it aragorn is badass he's extremely cool he's got some good you know he's got some good characterization to him he's he's got some humanity to him Uh, i i love his arc so for number three and this is going to hark back to that that very same scene i'm gonna go with boromir i'm gonna go with him too just so you know (laughs) okay all right so we're on the same page with boromir boromir for me it's all about the arc and he obviously is the shortest lived of any of the members of the fellowship so he, well, I mean, technically Gandalf leaves the fellowship first. <laughs> he, he comes back as Gandalf spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. He, he doesn't actually die, guys. So Boromir is awesome. He has just a great, he has a great arc. Sean Bean plays him to perfection. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just is a, I actually got annoyed. I don't know if I've gone on this rant on the podcast before, but I got annoyed at how they sort of made Faramir like Boromir light in the movies where they just kind of were like, Oh yeah, he's the same as Boromir. And he like is forced into letting Frodo go by circumstances outside of his control, as opposed to exercising his free will and overcoming the lure of the ring. Yep. Just how it is portrayed in the books. But Boromir is just, he's sort of just uh, you know, he's a tragic character and he has his flaws, but he, he fights to the death and sacrifices himself to save the hobbits. And it's a beautiful thing. And that final scene with Aragorn and Boromir, 
number two and number three on the list. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh man. I'm going to tear up just thinking about oh, this. It's so good. It's great. So I think the fourth one is probably also pretty easy. I think it's Legolas. And I don't think there's really much of an argument for any of the other guys, at least not hmm. for me. He is such a key role for just kind of for the fellowship being able to defend themselves in so many of the crazy situations that they got themselves into. And he was, you know, he's wise, he's over 2000 years old and he just, the wisdom of the elves and the, his accuracy. And, and I just thought he fought like a badass. And, and I think with all the group left, um, I, I feel like Legolas is the easy choice there, man. I don't know. Um, it, he asked best and, Legolas is objectively a great fighter and a good, he's a, he's just, he's, he's kind of a flat character, right? Like, I, I don't know, Orlando Bloom portraying him is fine. He just, um, I don't know. I, I'm actually going to go a different direction with this. And I can't believe I'm doing this because he's, this is, this character is so lame, so lame. Shout out to our friend, Katie Camlin though, who was, who was pumping him up on Twitter the other day. And we had a, we had a little <laughs> exchange about this. I'm going to go with Sam. Yeah. 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 yeah he's I'm going off script anyway. here. I'm going off script here. I'm going to pick Sam. Sam is the engine that makes the fellowship go even some ways more so than Frodo. And despite the fact that his character is extremely cheesy and pretty lame, boy, I just am a sucker for Sean Aston and Sean Aston specifically in an underdog role, whether it be Rudy, whether it be the Goonies, whether it be Lord of the Rings. I just can't, I can't not pick Samwise Gamgee. Weird pick. I can't believe that I made that pick, but that's my pick for number four. He has a great character in Stranger Things, Bob, Bob Newby. Yeah, of course. uh, Yeah, he was great in Stranger Things. Very, very good in that. Um, So you're picking Sam with five. Yeah, I mean, I think all the reasons that you said. I didn't really, I didn't really have as much of a problem with him as you did as far as him being cheesy. I mean, he's not the best character in the world, but I think when you look at who's remaining in the fellowship, um, Sam had a lot of big moments, a lot of, you know, pivotal, important saving Frodo's ass moments that they just wouldn't have, they wouldn't have accomplished what they did without him. And, uh, and obviously Sean Aston's great. So uh, that's who I went with five. So the only one that you have on the board that I don't is Legolas. And then we've got the same four left. So who is your fifth? Yeah. I'm going to go with, I go with Frodo for five. Interesting. Uh, I, I'm keeping Legolas off the board because, again, uh, while he's awesome, and there was a time in my life where I would have really stand Legolas. He's just he's a pretty boring character. I mean, he's uh, you know he's like uh, the Hawkeye of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and we're we're gonna the next question from Corey is inspired yeah. by the the Marvel universe, but I, I don't know. He's he's just a little flat for me. I'm gonna go with Frodo for much the same reason as Sam. I mean, so much of the the story of Lord of the Rings is about the two hobbits that break off on their own in their inner strength and resolve. The whole plot of Lord of the Rings, frankly, is ridiculous. The idea that these two hobbits could get the ring all the way to Mount Doom in Mordor and survive the journey and, and destroy the ring is impossible. It's ridiculous, but that's what makes it such a great underdog story. And Frodo is as much a part of that as Sam is, you know, in some ways, Sam, you know, I just can't, I can't pick them. I don't feel like I can separate them in the rankings. So I, I got to pick them back to back, which puts <laughs> that, you on the board at six. It, it does. And so I have Frodo, Mary Pippin and Gimli left um, of those four. I am going with Gimli here at six. Okay. He is the comic relief in the movies. He always, always, always had something funny to say. Um, I, I really love, I cannot make the leap. You have to toss me. 
And when he's making uh, Legolas throw him across the gap in Helm's Deep. And uh, I just felt like that was a great performance. And I always, always enjoyed what Gimli had to say. Uh, I like that pick. I I thought the the dwarf tossing bit was a little uh, it was a little strained, and frankly, in twenty twenty one, it's not aged extremely well. Ha! Uh, <laughs> That's funny. If we're being honest, but um, I I like the Gimli pick there. I will second the Gimli pick. Uh, the dwarves as a race, while somewhat problematic, if you dive into you know Tolkien's whole conception of. of of races and things like that. It's just, it's a little problematic. Don't, don't dive into yeah, it. Let's not do you, that. If you want to, you know, keep a pure view of Tolkien, but in, in any case, uh, I like Gimli as a character for much the same reasons. Uh, he's also just, you know, he's resourceful. John Reese Davies is uh, is a classic. He's great. And everything that he's in. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll echo your Gimli pick here. Cool. So then for my, Third to last, I'm going to go with... We've each got two hobbits, and I've got Legolas. I've got three hobbits. I've got oh, Frodo, got Frodo Mary, and Pippin left. Right. And right. I am slotting in Frodo here. I wanted to put him ninth. I thought about it this whole time we were doing it because I don't like Frodo as a character. But eh, he's, he's up against Mary and Pip, and, and they're basically screw-offs the whole entire <laughs> whole entire thing anyway. So, yeah, I'm going Frodo there. Um, I don't like his character very much, and I think that he's kind of a bitch. And... Uh, <laughs> But you know, I I love Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with him seventh. I'm gonna go with Legolas here. I've already made my opinions on Legolas quite clear. So, sure. yeah, wrapping around to eight for me, we've we've got Merry and Pippin as the last two picks. We do. They're sort of the B list comic relief behind Gimli, who's sort yeah. of the main comic relief, and they are screwballs. I uh, I I don't know. I can't really separate the two. I, I thought can. they were I. Oh, you can. Okay. I mean, I feel like Mary was the smart one. He was the brave one. He was, you know, he wasn't the fool of a so took Pippin. You're going to take him eighth. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Pippin's always screwing everything Pippin, up. I'm going to take Pippin eighth for the exact same reasons that you're <laughs> taking him ninth. Okay, okay. Because, I mean, they're both screw-offs, so you might as well lean into it. Like, Pippin is like the full... The full screw off. The full screw off. Yeah. yeah. Like he just is, he encapsulates, like he leans into it. And if you're just Mary, doing best Mary characters, like, he probably yeah. is objectively more interesting of a character than Mary. I agree. Is. Yep. No, so. See, that's that's what I'm going with. So I'm going to go Pippin, then Mary. All right. I, I went Mary, then Pippin. So thank you, Corey, for that very engaging Lord of the Rings question. We are going to double dip. And he really, uh, he, he leaned into two of my big loves with his second question. He, knows he said he, he knows this really well. He does. He said, let's say the two towers had an infinity war ending. Sauron wins or returns and wipes out half the free beings in Middle Earth. What would be the plot of Lord of the Rings Endgame? So just Ooh. as a quick primer for anyone not aware, in Spoilers. Infinity War, Thanos gets the infinity stone, snaps, and half the Marvel Universe mm, goes spoilers. kaput. Spoilers. If you haven't seen it yet, you're you don't exist. It's and then late. Uh, and then in Endgame, they do a little time heist. They Five years later, they go back in time. They grab all the Infinity Stones from around time, and they put the glove on, and they snap everybody back in. So that's kind of how they win Endgame. So in that vein, I imagine Two Towers ending thusly. Instead of the battle at Helm's Deep being won when Gandalf shows up, Dawn looked to the east in the fifth morning. Instead of that whole bit going on, at the same time, Frodo and Sam are fighting Shelob up in, uh, you know, go close to Mordor. Yeah, in, in the caves. In the caves. Instead of them, instead of Shelob 
instead of Sam fighting off Shelob and basically saving Frodo from destruction, I'm going to say that Smeagol's betrayal works. The Shelob gets Frodo. He gets sent up to, to Sauron and he finds the ring. Sauron goes to Mount Doom and with the ring becomes Sauron again, becomes the embodied version with the one ring that rules them all. And sure, then so this is like a Thanos parallel. This is here. the this is the snap. And so then Sauron, having been been reborn, goes to Helm's Deep as soon as Gandalf shows up, and Sauron lays waste with the one ring, kills Aragorn, kills Garrett Gandalf, kills Gimli, kills er- Legolas, everybody that's at and everything Deep. that moves, everything, everything that, that lives. lives. Exactly. So so Sauron pulls a John Rambo and just murders everyone. <laughs> and then five years later, Gandalf or Frodo was forgotten about. He didn't his his quest didn't work, but he was just kind of up in the the Mordor area. And he and Sam just had to live with Sauron ruling the realm for five years and everything's thrown into chaos. And eventually Frodo and Sam five years later, meet up with Galadriel and Elrond who are the Mm, Elven kind of um, do everything, you know, wizardly type elves. Yeah. They're, they're superheroes. Exactly. So Elrond and Gan and Galadriel had come up with a theory for time travel that they hadn't been able to use before, but they needed someone that could slip amongst the past without being noticed. So they say to Sam and to Frodo and to a revived Smeagol who has gone five years without the ring and is back to kind of his Hobbit-like self. Hmm. And they send them back in time to do a time heist to undo all the shit that went down five years ago in the end of Two Towers. And they have Smeagol stop Gollum from betraying Frodo with Shelob. Mm, And so you've got this like... She Smeagol versus Gollum, you know, he's always had the duality where he's argued with himself. Yeah, but this internally. Time it's, this, but this time it's an actual external, struggle. yes, an external Smeagol okay. versus Gollum. Gotcha. And you've got Sam and Frodo going to um Helm's Deep to warn Gandalf that Sauron might be coming back and you guys have got to clear out of here and get your shit together and he's going to come here and kill you all if, if Smeagol fails. But Smeagol doesn't fail. He gets himself to not betray Frodo in the past and everything is back to normal. And that's the, um, that's the end of Lord of the Rings Endgame. You know what it's missing? What's it missing? Full penetration. Mm-hmm.